Secrets and Spies presents Espresso Martini with Chris Carr and Matt Fulton. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Espresso Martini. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Good morning, Chris, or uh, or good afternoon for you. Yeah, good afternoon. <laughs> you know, nearly getting to evening, not nearly martini time, but there we are. So, uh, yeah, I'm still on the coffee at the moment. I might be speaking too fast because I've had too much coffee today, but there we go. <laughs> it's been one of those days. Yeah. <laughs> Oh dear. So yes, so today we've got another jam-packed episode of Espresso Martini, um, and we also have our new Patreon show, our Patreon-exclusive show called Extra Shot, so don't forget to check that out afterwards. To get access to Extra Shot, you'll just need to go to patreon.com forward slash secrets and spies, select a support level that works for you, and you'll get access to that show. You'll also get a coffee cup or a set of coasters, depending on which level you go for. So today's episode, we're going to talk about quite a few things. Um, we've got uh, the Trump indictment story. Oh, my mouse is not working now. Uh, hang on. <laughs> the Trump indictment story. So we've got the Trump indictment story. We've got um, a, a follow-up on the Kahuv Gadam. And um, we've also got some interesting tales involving Russian espionage, both in Germany and a historical case from Australia, which will be covered in our extra shot episode. So... Um, We'll start with Trump. Now, uh, we've got an article that we'll be talking about in a moment from the BBC that kind of goes into some of the details of the Trump case by Gordon Carrera. But Matt, you you actually, um, you've been following this case online, so I suppose you, you've got some thoughts on this already. So feel free to sort of tee us up for chat about Trump. Yeah, so I just want to preface a bit before we go into this discussion about the uh, indictments Trump got, federal indictments for the classified documents he kind of retained. Um so I recognize that, you know, speaking about this man in any capacity can elicit very strong reactions from people. And I also understand that I'm sure there are some of you listening who, you know, are totally exhausted by the constant sturm und drang of domestic U.S. politics and maybe come to here for an escape uh, from that, you know, kind of stuff, usual stuff they see on the news. Totally get that. Respect that completely. So Chris and I talked about this a bit over the past week or so since these indictments came about, you know, should we focus on this? How do we cover it? You know, et cetera. And my kind of thinking on this is, so our audience here is mostly Anglo-American with heavy representation from Australia, Canada, New Zealand. It's basically five eyes, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So while... For me and many of you listening, this is a domestic story. For you, Chris, and everyone else, it's a foreign story. And as it relates to uh, the potential misuse of classified information and the mm. damage and exposure that comes from that, the intelligence community and how that kind of works, it, it falls into our remit. So I feel like it's something that, if at least for mm, the mm. non-American audience is something that that is is good to cover, you know. Um, that said, Chris and I are both personally center left politically. We make mm, no mm, secret about mm. that. But I think as far as this podcast goes, the political stance, I guess I say that in air quotes of this podcast is neither left nor right, but it's pro-democracy, right? So 
any kind of action that that we see that runs afoul of democracy, we're going to talk about it, whether it's a country waging a genocidal war of conquest against its neighbor Mm. or a politician inciting a violent mob to storm the Capitol to prevent the certification of the presidential election. We're going to do our best to give you our honest and most informed take on these issues as it develops. So, we're going to talk about the classified documents issue in a little bit. And if later in the summer, as m- most keen observers of this issue expect that there'll be uh, federal indictments in D.C. and in Georgia State Court in Atlanta as they relate to the January 6th issue, as that comes up, we'll talk about that too. And like I said, we'll do our best to give you our most honest and well-informed take on this mm. as we can. So... Chris, over to you. Yeah, no, cool. Thank you for that, Matt. Yeah, we do our we do do our very best to stay balanced. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, we we like to avoid one star reviews where possible. But there we go. So, uh, so with all that in mind, so um, we've got an article by Gordon Carrera, which I sort of chose, uh, which is just titled "What Trump Indictment Tells Us About U.S. Security Risk." And Gordon Carrera is the BBC security correspondent. He has been a guest on his podcast in the past. Really solid guy, um, and you know, been reporting on intelligence for gosh at least 20 plus years now i think um so just to outline the details of the article so former u.s president donald trump faces serious charges for illegally retaining classified information from his time in the white house prosecutors argue that unauthorized disclosures of these documents could harm u.s security international relations and intelligence gathering methods more than 325 classified files including some marked with secret and top secret designations were discovered over the course of a year at trump's mar-a-lago estate trump is facing 31 counts of unauthorized retention of national security secrets under the espionage act the espionage act is a world war one era law that makes it a crime to mishandle national security secrets the trial, which will be in Florida, is scheduled for August the 14th. Uh, the charges include willful retention of classified government records and obstruction of justice. The special counsel, Jack Smith, has promised a quick trial, but legal experts predict delays due to handling classified evidence and challenges from Trump's legal team and scheduling issues. So the documents reportedly cover highly sensitive areas such as military capabilities of other countries, US military contingency planning, intelligence on foreign leaders and more. And the exposure of this information could jeopardize intelligence sources, compromise vulnerabilities and communication interception, create embarrassment um, or problems for allies and reveal valuable secrets to adversaries and also cause change for battle plans and strategies which rule all these things we talk about here are both expensive time consuming um, and you know create all sorts of problems and put lives at risks of sources if there are sources who could be compromised um Donald Trump's retention of classified documents raises concerns about the potential consequences and risks associated with former president retaining sensitive information. The extent of the damage that could occur from the disclosure of secrets remains unclear, but their nature and classification indicates their critical importance to national security. So, I mean, yeah, Matt, you've already sort of talked a little bit about all this. What are your thoughts with what you've seen so far? It's pretty serious. I mean, this is something that people who work for the intelligence community or the military routinely go to prison for mishandling and properly retaining classified documents. Um, 
just want to go into a bit of the timeline here of of this back and forth between uh, the National Archives, the FBI, DOJ, and Trump. So basically, all of for mm-hmm. again focus more of this on the non American audience. So all the documents that are generated over the course of a presidency, right? Which I mean, voluminous, like huge amounts of of paper that gets passed around. All of that under the Presidential Records Act doesn't belong personally to the president of the United States, right? It all belongs to the federal government. And after their presidency ends, it goes back to the National Archives in storage, and then it gets incorporated into the presidential library system and such, right? This started under, I think, right after right after Richard Nixon. Before that, there was sort of the precedent that these documents are the personal property of the president. After Nixon, the Presidential Records Act now belongs to the National Archives. It's just a common established thing, right? Mm. So um, in the year after Trump left office, so from January 2001 to January 2002, I guess the National Archives and Records Administration noticed that there were a large set of um, classified documents of various levels of secrecy that were missing that they should have had, right? So they asked... Uh, Trump, you know, hey, uh, we want them back. Do you have them? You know, we want them back. So the timeline here that I have, so this is roughly, yeah, roughly 300 documents. Um, January 17th, 2022, so about a year after Trump left office, um, after the National Archives repeatedly sent requests, Trump's lawyers provided 15 boxes containing 197 documents with classification markings. And then... Fast forward to June 3rd of last year, in response to a grand jury subpoena uh, demanding all documents with classification markings, Trump's attorneys provided 38 more documents to the FBI. And then on August 8th of last year, the FBI executes a search warrant on Mar-a-Lago and recovers 102 more classified documents. And out of that whole set of roughly 300-ish, 47 were marked top secret, right? Um, and in the indictment, in the federal indictment that we got, uh, it, it details a lot of the classification markings that were on these documents. And so from those, I think it's interesting to look at that because you get a sense of how the intelligence that went into these documents were produced and sort of what these reports might be about. So just a couple of the, um, classification markings on there. So some of it, uh, indicates uh, NF, which means it can't be released to any foreign nationals, or um, SI, which means special intelligence, which usually means it was collected via signals intelligence, right? Um, uh, release only to Five Eyes. So this information can only be released to nationals of the Five Eyes countries, which is most of the people listening to this podcast right now. Um, originator control, which means that only the classification authority that that originated the document can decide how it's released and who gets to see it. So if a report is is uh, is is generated by the CIA, only the CIA can determine who else gets to see it, right? Mm. This other marking HCSP, which means human intelligence. So a human spy somewhere in, in the world generated the intelligence that went into this support. Uh, TK, which is talent keyhole, um, which generally means overhead reconnaissance satellites 
operated by the National Reconnaissance mm-hmm. Office, uh, formally restricted data, which means um, relates to classified information regarding nuclear weapons that are part of the Department of Energy. Yeah. Some of the general descriptions that were in the indictments of these documents, so mm-hmm. White House intelligence briefing related to various foreign countries, military capabilities of a foreign country and the United States, uh, nuclear capabilities of a foreign country, uh, communications with a leader of a foreign country, military attacks by a foreign country, military contingency planning of the United States, which I think from news reports around this and other information that went to the indictments uh, is our, you know, uh, war plan with Iran um, that he supposedly had and was showing off to reporters at his Bedminster Golf Club in New Jersey. <laughs> That he's on tape doing so. <laughs> as you do, um, as you do. <laughs> right, as one does. Uh, foreign foreign country support of terrorist attacks against the United States interest. Nuclear weaponry of the United States. Timeline and details of attack in a foreign country. It goes on and on along those lines. Yeah, it seems it seems quite bad. I think, and, and now also, you know, there's the there's definitely an issue with how how classified documents are collected again at the end of an administration. Of course. Um, Mike Pence had a few classified documents at his house in Indiana. They were returned to the National Archives. Uh, The Justice Department did an investigation. There were no charges. It seems to have been kind of an accident. You know, at the end of administration, all this stuff gets swept up. Okay, my mistake here. I give them back right away. That's one thing. Okay. Um, There's also an occurring issue with Joe Biden, which I can kind of explain in in brief. So... uh, In November of last year, I believe it was, Biden's attorneys were cleaning out um, his offices at the Penn Biden Center, which was essentially like his sort of office that he used from during the time he wasn't vice president, but before he came back in to the presidency, offices that he had in D.C. In a locked closet in the offices of the Penn Biden Center, they, his attorneys found some documents containing uh, top secret information. They immediately notified the National Archives. The National Archives received them the next day. In January of this year, um, there was a second search mm-hmm. of his mm-hmm. home, of Biden's home in Wilmington. They recovered a few more that were in a box in his garage of various effects from the vice presidency. Um the FBI later came in and searched his house thoroughly and also his house in, um, he has a beach house in uh, Rehoboth Beach. Um, mm. Roughly mm. in this whole thing, 20 documents were recovered in all, as mm. opposed to the 300 or so that Trump had. And there's also uh, the Attorney General Merrick Garland appointed a special counsel, Robert Hur to investigate this issue on the Biden side. Uh, Robert Hur was previously the U.S. attorney from Maryland appointed by Donald Trump. And that's kind of where we are. One more thing before I forget. So in these indictments, some of the classification markings are redacted, which to me, just guessing here, would mean that they're code words related to uh, SAP, a special access program, which is like the most closely guarded intelligence that we have. Oh, okay. Yeah. So is it, these are, I mean, these documents here, the collection, yeah, as you describe it, is quite different from what was found at Mike Pence's house and Joe Biden's office. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and what is annoying, especially with Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton <clears throat> in particular, is uh, yeah. um, 
like Hillary Clinton's email server. We can't not talk about it. Um, you know, all sorts of things may or may not have passed through that server. And really, there's sure. just been a bit of a lack of respect on all sides of the of U.S. government um, from uh, from both Democrats and Republicans about dealing with state secrets. Um, with the Hillary Clinton thing, I don't know whether there may have been a slight. Um, not technophobe, but you know what I yeah. mean? Like somebody who's just not into IT, just not understanding the implications of having a private server. That could have been a possibility. I'm just, I was surprised that no one ever bothered to talk about the, or consider the security implication of that. And the problem, the why I bring that up is the problem is every time sure. Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden do something, it gives ammunition to then people on Trump's side who want to try and dismiss this. And the thing is, you can't dismiss this because the sheer volume of the documents Trump has is just unreal um and if and they are you know as you're saying of serious levels of classification and the problem is if if he is allowed to somehow find a way to get a you know to get off all of this it kind of throws a lot of the yeah. national security laws a bit up in the air because it just yeah. it, it becomes one rule for him and one rule for everybody else that's gonna subsequently piss a lot of people off in and in, in the national security sphere if i put it that way from you know cia officers to nsa to you know whatever um and and really demotivate people which will then put the country your country at even more risk and obviously um it's a really bad chain of events if he um, somehow manages to find a way to get past this because there are a lot of people who face charges for far lesser um, crimes uh, or far lesser holding on to national security information um, than others so it's it's yeah I, I, the fo- I, I, I um, when I saw the photograph of the the pile of boxes in Mar-a-Lago and if one is to assume that yeah. within all those boxes is classified information I mean it was just unbelievable yeah um yeah you know it actually looks a bit like when we moved house it was that <laughs> kind of level of stuff um and if that was all secrets in my flat or something i mean i would have been so busted um <laughs> so so it's just unreal really um the, the volume of all this i think it's also it's you know you think like okay people say all right well if you know biden got hit or sorry if trump got hit with 31 so yeah so of these 300 documents 31 of them were were charged. So he has 31 counts of uh, inappropriately retaining national defense information, right? I think the difference between like Pence and I mean, Biden's still kind of yeah. out there. We don't know. I'm going to I don't think I can't see him. And one, he's a sitting president. So there's all kinds of uh, statutes on you can't bring indictments against him. But I don't think anything will come of that. The difference between Pence and Biden and perhaps even Hillary and Trump is that, okay, these documents got swept up on the way out the door. Okay, our mistake. As soon as they realized they had them, they handed them back over and they cooperated. They didn't slow walk and obfuscate for mm. a year plus yeah, yeah. and and lie to the GOJ and lie to his lie to their attorneys and suggest that their attorneys obstruct justice by picking the documents out of the boxes and just getting rid of them. That's the difference. And if Trump had, you know, even when that grand jury subpoena came out, if Trump was like, oh, yup, you're right. Totally. My bad. Here you go. Immediately. Here's all the documents and cooperated and didn't lie and didn't try to get his attorneys to lie. He would not have been charged 
There is no way the Justice Department mm. would have gone mm. through the massive shitstorm headache of trying to try this thing in the middle of an election year. It's like he dared them to do it. You know, like I will flagrantly lie and break any laws I want and you people won't do anything about it. He like he dared them to do it. Yeah. Yeah. What is the thing? Like when you look at like the conservative party in the UK and the Republicans in America, one of the big things they both like to represent themselves as uh, is the party of law and order. Um, Right. And if you really do care about law and order, then no matter who is responsible for whatever, um, they should be held to account. And this is a terrible violation of your laws. Um, and I just don't see how really it's defensible. Um, and and like and also not. like you were saying, like how the obvious move would be to fess up and give that documents over and be as helpful as possible. And Trump has not done that. And on top of that, he's sort of been bragging about these things. And he gave a Fox News interview, didn't he? Um, where he said he, he yeah, and he said he was yeah, reluctant to hand over the document, the class, the boxes of classified documents because he was busy and needed to sort through them for personal items, etc. And it's like, well, it just sounds like a five-year-old who's just forgotten their homework or something. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, one, okay, one, okay, why are all these, you know, some of the most closely guarded secrets the U.S. government has... Why are these documents all mixed up in boxes with like your golf shirts and your underwear and, you know, all that kind of shit? Like, why, why that in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. Two, if the FBI comes to you with a subpoena saying, hey, we want our shit back, you stop what you're doing and you go do it. Like, these are documents with big, bright red, top secret cover sheets. They're not hard to find amidst your golf shirts and underwear and other memorabilia. Mm, You mm, go get it mm, and you mm. give it back. And it's like the people saying like, well, if they can do this to Trump, they can do this to anyone. Yeah, you're damn right they can. If you steal Mm, mm. hundreds of classified documents and refuse to give it back, they will drag your ass to prison. They can do it to anyone because that's the law. Yeah. and. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. And who packed these boxes? Did they have security clearance? Uh, I don't know that that's entirely clear. Mm. I think there's some indications mm. out there that some of this was done himself, or there's, I know, mm. I know based on the investigation that they've done so far, so like there's the General Services Administration, which does a mm. lot of like mm. facilities management of all kinds of government buildings, the White House, uh, especially like if, uh, okay, like if a light bulb goes out in the White House, the GSA are the people that comes in and like replaces that, right? So they do a lot of the like movement between administrations. The part of the investigation is uncovered, like it's not just GSA people just shoving shit in boxes and no one knew it was happening. It was more, it was more complicated mm-hmm. than that. Um mm-hmm. I mean, to your point about that Fox News interview with Brett Baer when he was like, well, I was busy, you know, like in that trial, they're going to show that clip. I promise you, they're going to show that clip to the jury of him saying I was busy. And then the federal prosecutor is going to show all of his schedules for a period of time and show him golfing every single day. They're going to shred him alive. Mm. I mean, any Mm. golf before national security. Yeah. Any, I think, decent person right now would be thinking of how they can make a plea deal, you know, plead guilty for mm, like, mm, I don't know, probation mm. or not a prison sentence. But his whole brand is he can never kind of admit fault. 
you know, like that's totally against what he, so, I mean, I think his only way out of this. So the mm. charges were brought in uh U.S. federal court in Miami, which the jury pool there is potentially more sympathetic to him than it would be say in DC where the January 6th charges are likely to come or in New York where the other, you know, um, Stormy Daniels thing is. Um, the judge is kind of friendly. Yeah, the, the, the judge is pretty friendly to him, was appointed by him. Um, that's a whole nother story. I mean, I think his only kind of hope is if is to delay the start of the trial until after the election. Mm. And in the meantime, mm. it gets, you know, both sides and what about it and and memory hold the mm. death. And then he, you know, mm. squeaks by in the election and then fires the entire Justice Department. That's kind of the only way he gets out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And and there is a prospect he could win the election. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's become, it, you know, it's, it's very messy. Um, and I'm sure that benefits Trump, that messiness. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, why Why is it sort of taken to the year before the next election for us to get to this point? Because he must have been sitting on these documents uh, for a while now. Because the top-level political leadership of the Justice Department were, and there's a Washington Post story that came out this past week about this, uh, the top-level political leadership of the Justice Department and certain people in the FBI were so allergic to the idea of being seen as political and writing the ship at the Justice Department after the Trump administration that, you know, all the clueless marks who were in the Capitol got pulled off airplanes and rounded up in mass. But, you know, the people who were actually responsible for a lot of the malfeasance we saw at the end of the Trump administration, you know, it's been like two years until we've even begin to hold these people accountable. And I think it's 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 shameful that it took that long and really unfortunate that the country is now going to have to go through this in the middle of a presidential election. And that's completely their fault. Yeah. And it's those secrets have been at risk that whole time. Yeah. So to that point about these secrets being at risk, you know, yeah, they were at mm. these documents were up on a stage at Mar-a-Lago. They were in mm. a mm. bathroom of like a guest room or something. I mean, Mar-a-Lago sees tens of thousands of people going through it every year. It's so it's a he has a suite on the grounds that he lives in through that's like his winter house in Palm Beach. But it's also mm-hmm. a private members club. It has about 500 mm-hmm. members. But I mean there's various fundraisers and receptions and weddings and all kinds of parties that are rented out all throughout the year. And so you think about um I don't know people waiters caterers, uh, guests of other members, people on the guest list that come through these events all throughout the year. I mean, if if mm-hmm. listeners of this, if regular listeners of this podcast don't know that foreign intelligence services would absolutely try to exploit that and can easily, like, we have failed you, you know? Um to that point, I would just want to read an anecdote. Um, this is a Newsweek article. Uh, Chinese nationals at Mar-a-Lago raise questions about... Yes, yeah, I was going to mention Yeah, it's yeah. called Chinese nationals at Mar-a-Lago raise questions about classified documents. And the link to this article will be in the show notes. I just want to read a part of it here. Uh, in February 2020, Chinese national Jing Li 
was found guilty of resisting a police officer without violence after ignoring warnings to leave Mar-a-Lago and then returning to take pictures of the resort in December 2019. She was found not guilty of trespassing by a jury and argued that the language barrier meant she didn't understand when a security officer told her to leave the resort. In March 2019, another Chinese woman, Yujing Zhang, uh, also gained access to Mar-a-Lago despite not being a member of the resort. After telling Secret Service agents she was there to swim at the resort, she was allowed to enter as security thought she was the daughter of an existing member because she had the same surname. Zhang raised questions as she didn't have a swimming costume. She later changed her story and said she was there to attend a UN friendship event between the United States and China, despite evidence on her phone suggesting she knew the event had been canceled. Zhang was carrying a total of four cell phones, a laptop, and other electronic gear, promoting fear she could have been a spy. She was never charged with espionage, but later found guilty of trespassing, lying to Secret Service agents, and deported. I mean, come on, guys. It's bonkers. And there's even, there's been some speculation about how chummy um, Trump is with Saudi Arabia as yeah. well, and whether or not yeah. some of this information's got to them. Um, I don't, I can't verify that, but yeah. There's no, there's no information in the indictments or any kind of hard verifiable information that's been reported that he was selling these documents or, or in any way kind of using them to him as to, to, to his advantage in that regard. I mean, mm, um, mm, mm. shortly after the administration, uh, the Saudis gave Jared Kushner. So Trump's son-in-law, who was an advisor in the white house, uh, gave him like a $2 billion investment deal. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a kickback. Uh, the live golf tournament that's backed by the Saudis, um, did a big tournament at his Bedminster golf club. I mean, all that money went straight into Trump's pocket, I mean, so there's there's fishy stuff about that. There's no there's no indications that that are public right now that that he was you know selling this stuff. I mean, that would take it to to another level. I mean, it could be something as stupid as you know he thought they were cool. I mean, the same thing we talk about Jack Teixeira. You know, he thought it was cool and wanted to kind of show it off. And as far as you know, the 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 Iran war plans, he was waving them around to to people and showing them to make a point about a dispute he had something with Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Um, yeah, who who, want, who waves top secret documents around? He must well frame them. I think it was a joke I yeah. made on Twitter a while back. <laughs> you know, he must well stick them up. Look, look, it's the top secret document I was dealing with when I was president. Kind of <laughs> what they were. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. Surprised he didn't get autographs for uh-huh. them as well. You know, must get the spies to sign them. While uh-huh. <laughs> Could be worth a lot more money. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to that point, so the intelligence community mm. is definitely right now or has been doing a damage assessment um, to determine, you know, any sort of damages to national security that would come mm. from the disclosure of this information. We'll never see that. Um, I think also we'll never know entirely who perhaps saw these. And if there was a Chinese national who snuck into Mar-a-Lago somehow and went into that bathroom and up on stage and, you know, took pictures of these documents, I think the only way we would ever know that is if we had a human source somewhere who could verify that 
yeah, the Chinese have that information based on that. That's, I think, the only way we would ever know. Yeah, well, my eyebrow raised when you mentioned a human source. Maybe there is one somewhere that we don't know about who, who has tipped someone off somewhere. Who knows? Mysterious circles. <laughs> I don't know. And that's another thing. I mean, there's a there's we know from the classification markings on some of these documents mm. that the intelligence in these documents, there is a human being somewhere on this planet who risk their life to steal information to give to the mm. United States. And he was just keeping it in a box with his golf shirts and his underwear and waving it around to make a point about something he was pissed off about from a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is, I remember during Trump's time in office, um, there was some episodes in the White House where he may or may not inadvertently sort of blown the fact that the US had a source in some country and I can't remember which country it was now because I tried oh, my best to um... put most out of my mind but um, but the I suppose the point I'm trying to make is all these things make it much harder for like the CIA to go and recruit yeah. people in the future who might be vital to something you know it, it's not just the short term damage you know the reason there is espionage on all sides is because generally 9 times out of 10 um it's it's to help get perspective on something like you know like a serious situation like with this we're going to talk a, a bit later about a spy base in in Cuba yeah. Um, who we sometimes need sources to tell us whether the spy base has now turned into a missile base or something like that, or 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 somebody has something like a, a nuclear missile, but do they intend to use it or not? We need to understand the person's mindset, and that's where human espionage comes in. So the thing is, I I personally. <laughs> If I were a Russian or whatever, and the CIA were trying to recruit me, I'd say, fuck off, no. Because look at the nonsense with Trump and all that. I would rather work for an intelligence service that are a bit more stable, because, or at least for a country that seems more stable, should I put it that way, because it's not the CIA's fault. But um, but the problem is, if you've got a president who's like just keeping people's names around or whatever, or, or at least enough information where the right people can connect the dots to figure out who it is, I wouldn't want to go anywhere near you guys. And um, and that's a real problem. Yeah. And I, and I don't know how you fix that. Yeah. It is. And I mean, so that, that hypothetical spy that you're talking about, um, I mean, their case officer could be the best intelligence officer mm. in the world. You know, like so dedicated to protecting yeah. this source. There is nothing they could do to prevent no. this disclosure. No, nothing. And, nothing. And it just totally invalidates any trust in that case officer uh it's a bit like a journalist who who you know has a reputation of never revealing their sources only for management to reveal their source to someone and completely screw them over right that's yeah that's that's exactly what it is yeah yeah because i remember the insider the movie of al pacino just pops into my head and, and his character's big battle against management about revealing who jeffrey wygan was who was the whistleblower within the tobacco industry um, you know, it's like mm -hmm. that basically, and and lives are at stake. You know, I, I think again, we said this I think last week or the week or the episode before that, where I think sometimes people tend to sort of see espionage a little bit as a victimless crime occasionally because they don't really see the damage firsthand. They don't realize that Russia tends to execute people who who've worked for the West. Yeah, China certainly does. Feed them feet first into an incinerator. Yeah, and all that kind of stuff. And and um, 
or the fact that revealing your nuclear secrets then if there is a serious situation where god forbid those nuclear weapons are needed if the russians know where to strike them then you've got no nuclear weapons anymore or or the deterrent at sea if if um you know like if russia knows where the position all your subs are it invalidates their use so it's those kind of things that that why all this sort of matters so it's yeah yeah it's it's uh yeah it's it's not good um i i worry it's just going to get politicized to the point where both people will be too scared to talk about it people be won't want to acknowledge the seriousness of it and ultimately i have a horrible feeling that former president donald trump will probably get away with it because unfortunately he seems to have a history of getting away with an awful lot of stuff so um that's my prediction (laughs) i don't know we will see i don't know um under normal circumstances if this was you and i we'd be completely fucked Mm, yeah Massively. I think if the justice system is going to work the way it's supposed to, without any kind of bias, he would be fucked too. I mean, the evidence is just so overwhelming. The only potential issues there are the judge, the venue in Miami. And like I said, if he're able to just delay it until after the election and he wins Mm. and fires the entire Justice Department, I think that's the only way he gets out of a conviction. If he's convicted, will he Mm. go to prison Mm. for it? I don't, I don't, no. I don't know. I, I, I can't say. I'm assuming he's convicted. He must lose his Secret Service detail or if they've got to like look after him as well. <laughs> uh, I don't know that there's anything written down about what happens in that eventuality because there's never been anyone like him doing anything like he's done. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know what would happen. I really don't. He's such a wild card. I mean... <laughs> Uh, people could look back on all of this in maybe about 40 years time with hopefully some cooler perspective um yeah and and, and hopefully trump will be just an outlier that was a <laughs> um, that kind of came and went and other people saw that this wasn't a good idea but um i don't know it, it, it's it's uh if he gets away with it it encourages other people to do similar things all, he, all it says is all you have to do is politicize something it's a bit like with terrorism like like it seems to be easier to blow up a plane full of people than to murder an individual. Because if you blow up a plane full of people, it becomes politicised, it becomes very difficult to prosecute. Whilst if I just go and shoot someone, it's pretty straightforward. Um, and, and it, you know, I guess my point is that it just doesn't send out a very good signal. If we can't get justice for things and all it takes is you to politicise it, then I think it gives people a way to get away with bad things in the future. Sure. I mean, I think this, this if anything, the Trump presidency as a whole, mm. it gives a roadmap to future bad yeah. actors, wannabe yeah. autocrats, who perhaps have a lot more self-control and are a lot smarter than Donald Trump of how to game the system. Mm. And there, there are figures... Yeah, definitely on the, should we say, the far right, who I I could see becoming rising stars in the future. And I'm sure that, yeah, they are probably learning lessons, you know. Um, Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. So on that cheery note, is there anything else you'd like to add on this topic? Or No. Well, we'll um, go to the Kohovica Dam, which exploded last month Um, on the 6th of June, actually. I I don't know why I didn't clock that before. So it blew up on D-Day. Um, mm. which I don't know why I didn't notice that. I was too busy thinking about the Dam Busters anniversary a few days before. But, uh, <laughs> but there we go. Um, so, yeah, obviously we talked about the destruction of the dam last month. Um, 
And well, actually, sorry, it was this month. It was earlier this month. Sorry, I'm getting my months muddled up. It was earlier this month. The dam was just uh, destroyed. Um, and so there's been some new information to su- that suggests that there's evidence that Russia blew up the dam. So color me shocked there. But um, so apparently, you know, with the New York Times, they read a really good article about this. And, um, and they were saying deep inside the dam, there was an Achilles heel. Um, and because the dam was built sort of during Soviet times, Moscow had every page of the engineering drawing, so they knew exactly where, if they were going to blow up the dam, they knew exactly where to do it. There are multiple lines of evidence, including engineering plans and interviews and experts, to suggest that an explosive charge was placed in the maintenance passageway, which is the Achilles heel, which caused the catastrophic failure of the dam. Um, and the location of the explosion inside the dam um, and the damage observed support the theory that the collapse was intentional. And obviously, we've had report uh, residents near the dam report hearing explosions and strange rumblings before the flood occurred. So, Matt, I mean, do you have any any thoughts on on this this story? I think the belief of engineers that there was an explosive mm. device planted at in this passageway at the base of the mm-hmm. dam, like you said. It's probably the, I mean, the dam was occupied by the Russians at the time. Mm, mm. Um, seems to be the clearest indication that it was the Russians. I mean, there's been a lot of discussion. Uh, you and I have kind of talked mm. about this before. Mm. I don't know, I forget if it was offline or not. But it kind of hurts both sides. Mm. I mean, the Ukrainians, obviously, you know, uh, uh, just the humanitarian disaster that they're trying to deal with in the middle of this mm. Mm. Uh, war. I mean, evacuation sites being shelled. By the Russians, uh, yeah. landmines, landmines yeah. being swept up and dispersed yeah. into yeah. you know towns and villages and stuff, um, really, and just like the damage to the ecology, uh, you know, the, um, all kinds of chemicals and oil being swept into the Black Sea, uh, just stuff that'll, um, yeah, have have ramifications mm. for for long after this war is eventually mm. over. Mm. Um, to that same point, though kind of damages the russians too i mean they mm. had positions that were on the other side of the of the Dnieper river that were mm. you know swept away i mean mm. it, this kind of lowers the water level of the reservoir to the uh canal that supplies crimea with a lot of its um fresh water which you know hurts the russians a lot mm. and we know this is a concern of theirs because early on in the war one of the first things the Russian did the Russians did were to uh, seize a pumping station mm. um, in that area to sort of I, I guess secure the fresh water supply mm. to to Crimea. I mean, of course, you know it wouldn't be the first time that uh, in a war that someone did something stupid that wasn't entirely thought through or, mm. or desperate. You know mm. um, that happens. Yeah, yeah. we well, could have been. Yeah, I suppose it could have been a local commander who went a bit off the reservation, maybe. I don't know. I mean, that's a possibility, isn't it? But you don't know. Maybe. Mm. Maybe. Um, maybe. Uh, I think it also just shows that, you know, they don't, the Russians really just don't care at all. Um, you know, that's the kind of war this has become. There's something interesting, though, um, bit of color here. So some of the intelligence that's been collected, I guess, uh, that that points to this explosive being placed at the base mm. of the dam. Mm. Uh, uh, sensors, like intelligence-based sensors, uh, registered the like infrared signature of this explosion coming from inside the dam. So we have uh, the U.S. Uh, Space Force um, operates a constellation of spy satellites going back to the Cold War. It's called the Defense Support Program satellites, yep. the yep. DSP satellites. 
Um, and these have sensors on it that are meant to detect like infrared emissions from uh, a rocket launch, a mm. missile launch. Mm. Um, I guess this kind of qualifies too. Like during the Gulf War, um, these satellites were used to uh, detect launches of Iraqi Scud missiles and give forewarning to Saudi Arabia and Israel that these missiles were being um, fired at. Uh, there's a new system that's kind of replacing it. Uh, it's called SPURS, the space-based infrared system. Um, I don't know for sure that it was these satellites that that registered this thermal signature of the explosion. It could have been uh, other airborne sensors on drone or fixed-wing aircrafts, but um, just something interesting. Yeah, well, it's interesting you mentioned the spy satellites because I, I noted the time of the explosion was reported between 2.15 a.m. and 3 a.m., and I wondered whether... That was intentional because the darkness might provide some cover from satellites. Um, but if they're using infrared and stuff, then I'm assuming that's not the case. Um, and you've also got seismic signals that were picked up as well. as uh, Two sensors, obviously one in Romania and one in Ukraine, that picked up um, activity between 2.35 a.m. and 2.54 a.m., so uh, uh, Ukraine time. Um, and uh, let's have a look. There was a quote. Um, from Ben Dando, who was a seismologist uh, from a Norwegian organization called Norsar. Um, and he was saying the signals were both consistent with an explosion. So, um, yeah, it does look that way. And then I mentioned earlier the um, local residents. So here's where there was one interesting thing, actually, that I was, wouldn't mind some more clarification on. Because when um, I mentioned John Sweeney's reporting in the last episode, residents apparently heard a single explosion, whilst the New York Times is saying they heard multiple explosions. And it'd be interesting to get that clarified, maybe, because, um, you know, the residents saying it was a single explosion points towards a single explosive. But then you've got to take into account echoes and other things, too. When you're dealing with eyewitnesses, they're not always the most accurate people, depending on their level of experience these things. But yeah. Could they have mistaken the other follow-on secondary explosions Maybe. for just the sound of the dam breaking yeah. up? Yeah, it could be. It could be. You just don't know. And it, and it takes a trained ear to be able to determine, well, that was an explosion. That was a bit of whatever concrete cracking off. That was something else. You know, <laughs> everybody has an Yeah, you're things. a Ukrainian hmm. villager in yeah. an occupied territory, and yeah. it's the middle of the night, and yeah. there's a wall of water coming hmm. at you. Hmm. You're not really thinking that analytically. No, no, indeed, indeed. To your earlier point about, you know, uh, I'll put it as, you know, our Russia, you know, Russia have got things to lose from this destruction and they're sort of shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, the problem is, I suppose, I think it's not necessarily Russia, it's Putin. I think Putin personally doesn't care about the human cost because this war, from everything I've seen, it all this war's about him um, and it's about his political survival. And, you know, you can go through Russian history and, you know, there's all sorts of um, examples where the leader, um, you know, whether it be Stalin or Putin or whoever, have um, allowed a dreadful human toll to be taken just to benefit them. Um, and Stalingrad. I, yeah, yeah. And I just, this damn explosion, the reason why I, you know, I said earlier, colour me shocked, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't put it past putin to have done this um there is a possibility putin might not have known about it and it could have been a local commander trying to do something it might impress putin <laughs> you know there's all sorts of things that could have happened um or it might have been that these explosives were there for a future scenario and they went off accidentally 
There's possibility of that too. That's that's yeah, yeah that's that's possible. Yeah, totally possible. Because it could have been there for a last stand or something. But certainly, right. certainly the the flooding has makes it very difficult for Ukrainian tanks to operate in that area, and it's decimated the agriculture in that area now, which is going to further yeah. cause um, you know starvation and pressure both internationally and locally. It's it's well, I think that's yeah. something that I mean I really wasn't aware of until this war started. Is just how much um, the global South, a lot of the developing world, depends on on agriculture from Ukraine to 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 sustain itself, um, and that's absolutely impacted by this. Yeah, yeah. I, I, did they? What was the term they used about uh, Ukraine was like the breadbasket of the world? I can't remember what the term was yeah. now, but it was something on those lines. And, I, and yeah, I was surprised too. I mean, it, it just. Um, Again, I think classic example, a lot of us sort of take little things like this for granted. We forget that we need farmers and we need agriculture because somebody's got to produce the grain that makes the bread or uh, grow the rice that, you know, goes in our um, rice bowls or sushi or however you like rice, etc. Um, and everything kind of interconnects with each other. And, and when people start messing with that, it kind of has knock-on effects. And, you know, in the UK, we've got rising costs for food things at the moment um obviously the energy crisis um there may well be a return to that this winter because the energy crisis isn't exactly resolved um certainly in the uk nothing's getting cheaper at the moment it's going the other way um so um yeah and that's not a plea for patreon subscribers but you know (laughs) but certainly costs are quite high in the uk at the moment um so yeah yeah it's it's um i'm i'm you know my view was, I think, my feeling was Russia was behind it, um, and it's the most sort of devastating thing they can do um, this side of a nuclear attack. And I think, like, um, I think Russia have been warned by China and obviously by America not to go the nuclear option. And I'm assuming that's probably keeping Putin in check. But then, you know, I, I don't know. I think Putin's a very, when it comes to that situation, I think he is quite careful. Um, but it's just what worries me is somebody less careful in the long run might well take over um, and uh, and yeah go Doctor Strange love on us. But there we go. <laughs> that's, I still think there's a possibility. You know, um, I think there is definitely kind of an an axis forming in Russia to Putin's right, which is kind yes. of scary to consider. Of yeah. these like you know ultra nationalist Telegram channels these military bloggers mm-hmm. um you have jenny Prigozhin, the head of the wagner group um that are are potentially a lot more dangerous than putin mm. well this is it putin built the bullshit and other people are out there are the believers and i think the one who creates it knows the con whilst the other people who believe it don't um and True. if they if they are so staunchly nas- nationalistic and think nato is this horrific threat that has been built up to be um they might well do something really stupid just to, you know, to be the glorious Russia again. Um, yeah. You know, so, uh, yeah. So I don't think we're out of the woods on the nuclear thing. Because it's so funny. I, I don't know why I keep banging on about this. But it's just like uh, endlessly I see people on Twitter, so-called experts and stuff, who kind of like very confidently predict that there, there won't be a nuclear problem and there won't be this, that, and the other. And I'm just like, I just don't, you can't guarantee that until this ends, really. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I remember talking about this last year. I think one of our first uh, episodes together. Mm, and mm. I'm not. I don't walk around actively concerned that that's going to happen, but it's certainly still a possibility. Mm. Um, 
And I just keep going back to it. Like my gut just tells me like if Crimea gets actively threatened mm. by the Ukrainians to like mm. retake it, mm. I, my gut just tells me that that's, that's when that kind of issue could realistically come into play. Yeah. Yeah. I think you might be right there. Just before we get back to the last section of the show, I'd like to just take a moment to talk with you about Surfshark. Surfshark is a VPN service that allows you to protect your privacy online. And I don't know about you, but I'm always on the move and I'm very reliant on public Wi-Fi. And sadly, public Wi-Fi is notoriously insecure and it puts your data at risk. And I've now started to use Surfshark to protect me when I'm on public Wi-Fi. I contacted Surfshark and we now have a special offer just for you where you get 83% off when you sign up and you also get three months for free. So to get access to this offer, please use our special code, which is the word secrets. Just use the word secrets at the register and you'll get access to that offer. I've put a link in the show notes below, so it's very easy. Just click on that link and follow it all from there. So anyway, I hope that's helpful for you and let's get back to the show. So um, we'll just very briefly go on to one last fun story. Sure. Um, so China is, well, uh, China has apparently uh, built a, a spy station in Cuba. Um, and there were two articles about this. And the first article um, talked about the possibility of building a facility. And the second article actually confirmed that the facility actually exists. And it's been around and operational since at least 2019. Um and obviously people are concerned because the proximity uh, of the of a, a, a spy base in Cuba to the US is only 100 miles away and it would enhance China's technological capabilities to conduct surveillance operations and it could be used kind of as a staging ground for, uh, you know, physical activities like, I don't know, um, sneaking people in across the border, etc. Um, so, uh, Matt, I don't know, is there anything that stood out for you in this particular story? I thought it was interesting initially that after this was reported, it was kind of denied that the U.S. knew anything about it. And then the White House came out and clarified that they were aware of it. They have been aware of it Mm. and that uh, it was this facility became operational in 2019. So during the previous administration, Um, that was interesting to me. I want to make the note that the Soviets operated a similar facility at Lourdes, just south of Havana, from like 1962 to 2002, when the Russians eventually um, shut it down. I don't know for sure. I don't know if it's been reported where this Chinese facility is in in Cuba. No, apparently, well, I read something somewhere. I might have misread it. It was sort of near some U.S. commercial interests, and I don't know what U.S. commercial interests are in. Yeah, I don't know what's in Cuba because of the whole restrictions and stuff, so I don't know. And then there's Guantanamo. Mm, I don't know. But that's that's, that's a military base. I don't know. Um, That other point, though, about the U.S. commercial interests or or the lack thereof, you know, if this facility opened up in 2019, that's right around the same time that, I mean, so at the end of the Obama administration, there was this whole... Um, opening with Cuba where, you know, for a short time, we exchanged ambassadors again. Mm, it was kind mm, of brokered mm, by the Vatican, mm. um, kind of an opening or a, an easing of sanctions with Cuba. And then very, very early on in the Trump administration, they undid all of that kind of stuff. I just want to point out the timing here, like right after that decision, that opening with Cuba was reversed, 
was when the Chinese started building this facility, you know? So if you consider like, okay, we've had, uh, we've had a trade embargo with Cuba since 1960, right? So going on 63 years, you know, like how much longer are we supposed to have these, these sanctions until, you know, the Cubans, you know, rise up and overthrow their regime, you know, like how much longer are we, are we supposed to force this policy position in, in towards this goal? That clearly doesn't work. I also want to make the point that this past, the Cubans had to cancel their, in this past May, their May Day parade because of a shortage of gasoline. So because of these sanctions, this trade embargo, if you can't get investment from your nearest neighbor, the U.S., mm, mm. or from European countries mm. because of this mm. embargo as well, where else do you have to go but the Chinese? You know? And I think it's just important to underscore, like, the stupidity of policies that just go to kind of, you know, that in, in, in the end, help our adversaries. Yeah. You know, I mean, if, if the U.S. had some investment in Cuba, had U.S. tourism in Cuba, built an economic relationship with Cuba, I mean, we have diplomatic relations with, with, with Vietnam right now, you know? Like, we can have a relationship without kind of being, like, best friends, you know? You would you would give the Cubans a lifeline that they then don't need to just only turn to the Chinese. And I just say that to make the point that like these decisions that are often made for short term domestic political gain can have long term geopolitical ramifications. You know, nothing happens in a vacuum. No, no, um, indeed, indeed. Well, it does the position on Cuba does feel outdated i know the cuban government are far from saints even today no um, not at all and i know the cuban intelligence services uh focus primarily on america and they're very good at what they do from a chat with vince houghton had many years ago um and in fact i'd like if anybody's got any book recommendations on cuban intelligence i'd totally be um open uh, yeah. because it's an area that fascinates me um and personally, I've not seen an awful lot about them, um, and I would love to find an expert on Cuban intelligence. So, yeah, I mean, there were a um, during that short-lived opening with the Cubans, there were a lot of kind of older, more conservative, hardline voices, uh, you know, in the military, in the intelligence services. In, in in Cuba, I mean Fidel Castro, I think himself, or was was a bit before he died, was kind of against, you know, negotiating with the United States, opening up with with the United States, mm. you know. So Raúl Castro, other people who were affiliated with the Vatican, kind of supported it. And when the next administration came in and pulled the rug out from under this agreement, it only just it enhanced the credibility of these hardline, more anti-U.S. factions yeah. within the country. Yeah. You know, so you see, you can't make a deal with these people. Don't negotiate with the Americans because they can't keep their word. The same thing happened in Iran when, you know, the last administration got rid of the JCPOA. And it only worked to sort of prove the hardliners in the IRGC, the extremist clerics in the country. Mm. It only just proved them right. Mm -hmm. I think American foreign policy can be very inconsistent. Um, yeah. And it doesn't do anybody any favors, really. Um, it is very, you know, it's the old expression, when America sneezes, the world catches a cold. 
Um, and certainly, in, I can talk from a European and British perspective. I mean, I feel like the the Trump years did a lot of damage to the reputation of America in Europe, and, and oh yeah, um, as being a reliable partner, and it's made Europe up until up until probably the war with Ukraine, it's made Europe really consider um, if they can find a way to I don't know work around America. Um, and obviously that opens up all sorts of things for other actors to kind of fill that void. I know, like, um, we'll talk about this in a little bit. Russia are very focused on Germany at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. obviously Chinese investment in European countries, etc. And there will probably be, um, kind of clauses and all sorts of things with those investments, um, that will, you know, damage, uh, should we say the the established stability that we we kind of all know at the moment? So, uh, in a way, yeah. that's a benefit of these autocratic systems of government, like the Russians and the Chinese have, is that it it they're able to think in much longer terms mm. than we are. I mean, they can plan stuff 10, 20 years in the future because they're not working from election to election every four years. Mm. You know, they don't mm. have to worry about. Uh, another party taking control of the house in a midterm elections and you know screwing up an entire budget you know and or another administration coming in and reversing all these policies that the previous one worked really hard to get you know these agreements the chinese don't worry about that you know cuz they're in charge and they're always going to be in charge or so they think you know um i mean yeah that's 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 an advantage that they have over us mm, mm, indeed indeed well not that we encourage that but <laughs> no i'm just just telling you how it is yeah yeah but it definitely i mean it, within a democracy in a sensible democracy that doesn't currently exist one would hope that um uh both political sides could come together and actually just come out with a strategy so then when it comes to elections it's more just domestic stuff that shifts but not necessarily so much about foreign policy but we will see i mean that's that's Mm. that's up until about now that's Mm. how it was at Mm. least since the end of world war ii Mm. i mean Mm. u.s foreign policy did not over the course uh, over the course of the cold war Mm. Um, I mean, up until, yeah, up until Trump, Mm. U.S. policy did not drastically change. I Mm. mean, yeah, there was the war on terror and we lost our minds and, you know, burnt half the Middle East down. But other than that, very consistent, regardless Mm. of the administration that was in power. Mm. 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 So, yeah, maybe it's 9-11 onwards. It sort of messed things up a bit, I think. We're certainly domestic politics has gone absolutely mad in the Internet age. Yeah. and there's all sorts of reasonings behind that, but uh, but there we go. We'll go into that maybe on extra shot. So uh, so uh, Matt, thank you for joining me. Um, we're gonna thank you. Uh, everybody listening. We're gonna move on to extra shot now. So if you want to join us on extra shot, just go to patreon.com forward slash secrets and spies, and uh, pick a level that you're happy with and subscribe. And uh, and we will see you on extra shot. So thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening. This is Secrets and Spies. Thank you.